you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. And I guess the Olympics have been on. They have. And I, uh, I, I don't know what I think about the Olympics. It's weird. You start, I, I've never spent so much time watching taekwondo which I know nothing about, and suddenly it seems like it's this big important thing that I have to watch. So have we done well in the Taekwondo? I, there, was, there was some incident, uh, by the time you hear this, a, a week ago, where we didn't quite make it. I think we got a bronze or something. I don't know. We'd, we'd seem to be, the, the British team seemed to be doing quite well at swimming, is all I can gather. Yeah, we are good at swimming, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. And we used to be good at riding bikes, but we don't seem to be good at that anymore. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not a big Olympic fan necessarily, but it's amazing what you start watching when you've uh, when it's on. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's still there's still not an enormous amount of things to do. We've started booking things, but none of it's happening just now. Yeah. So, and and talking of achievements, I I, I we mentioned it on the last podcast, but. It's amazing. We're in the top 5% of podcasts, Ben. I know. I don't really know how that happened. I don't know how that happened, but I'm taking it. I don't know. Does that... I would say that makes us silver knocking on gold rather than pure gold. We've still got a way to go, but that is amazing. It's not bad. It's not no. bad. No, who'd, who'd have thunk it, as they say? No, no. Well, I think this is episode... 75, 76, I think. Uh, yeah, we'll have to do something special when we hit 100, won't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll think of something. Right. So, this is. I'll give you. I'll bring you some gold, which is how we got into the top five here. Yay! Um, so this is. I'm going to be talking about. Well, I'll start by talking about artifacts that people have bought back from the other side. Ah, okay. That's and a then new twist. I want to. Uh, there's a. There's a magazine which we've referred to a lot, which I'm a subscriber to, called The 14 Times. And The 14 Times, if you don't know, it's kind of like a compendium of all the weird. It, the re, it comes from 14, comes from Charles Fort, who was a collector of the esoteric and weird facts and materials. And this magazine, it used to, doesn't anymore, but it used to have a, a chat board as most places did and i want to tell you about a story which is the longest running thread on that chat board Brilliant. and it started in 2005 and it's still going and i'll tell you the story about it oh. and that the two things interlink that sounds fascinating excellent so we if we could find some evidence of anything that we could bring back from a ufo or anything it would sort of seal the deal wouldn't it we'd be able to say yeah that thing really happened yeah yeah and in the past i've spoken about bringing stuff back from the the fa- the world of fairies and just as an example i did find because I, I realized in the back of my mind i thought i oh, and there's somebody that bought a chalice back and i found a hundred year old photograph of a fairy chalice in iceland we can put it in the uh in the photo gallery and it is supposed to be a chalice that, as I say, was taken back from the fairies. Wow. Which is, you know, it's a terribly bad idea, but there's no specific evidence. Uh, we don't know where that chalice is now. All we've got is the photograph. So it's kind of like a bit of a, nah, well, that would have been nice if we could have proved it. Well, that does seem weird, doesn't it? That 
uh, fairy L-O-R-E law, food you can't bring back, but you can bring back chalices and clothing, which seems yeah. a bit odd, but I, I'm going with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, just while I was hunting around, I discovered, well, it, they you, these things usually appear in the British red tops and usually the the lower quality ones, Daily Express, um, time travellers saying that they've got photographs of the past, but usually yeah. those things turn out to be press for a video game or press for something, a film or something like that. But this story that started in 2005 offers a tantalising potential of somebody having something that they could bring back from a paranormal experience. And we'll see where it goes. But first of all, let me tell you the story because it is, it's a really, it's well-written and it appears to be full of testable facts. And this is why the thread has lasted so long. So this is the very first post it's the original poster that started this whole thing off. That's right. Yeah, okay. So this, this uh, I'll pray see the story a bit because it's quite long. But as I say, so this is 16 years old. And I'll tell it to you in the, in the first person as it's the person who was writing it. Right. And it's also, you should know, set in Sweden. So he says, my story took place in early July of 1993. I was 18 years old at the time and worked for the summer in the civic department of the smallish county of Mjöby. I'm going to say Mjöby. Maybe, maybe we should put that one backwards. <laughs> yes. It'll probably work. It'll be Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> All you need to know is it's in mid-eastern Sweden and um, I was doing mainly street work um, and park maintenance. Me and a co-worker had finished work for the day, pruning hedges and mowing lawns in a remote community about 10 English miles from our home, home office. I imagine an English mile is the same as an American mile, but we, whatever. And we're on our way back. The road we were driving along in a Volkswagen minibus went through quite a rural area, fields, scattered pieces of pine forest. There was, and still is, only a few separated farmhouses and cottages along the road, which is the only tarmac road in that area. All roads that connect with it uh, along that stretch are either gravel roads or dirt paths. That summer alone, we must have driven along that road at least 100 times, so we knew it pretty well. After driving five to seven kilometres along this road, my co-worker who was doing the driving happened to notice that we were running low on gas. In fact, the needle of the gauge didn't even move from its bottom position. The car was running smoothly, but we realized that we were just running on petrol fumes and we didn't know whether we'd make it for another 10 kilometers or so at this point we'd entered one of the few places along the road where it was flanked by woods on both sides as i say the the area is otherwise open and it's mostly farmland the car was equipped with a long wave radio for communication so this being the time before mobile phones And so we were discussing whether to radio the home office in case we got stranded and needed some fresh gas brought to us. In the end, however, we decided to keep on driving as long as possible, just in case the gas we had would take us home. Anyway, we kept on driving for a few more minutes when suddenly we came upon a small collection of buildings on the right side of the road. A farmhouse in a pretty dilapidated condition. In front of the house, right up against the edge of the tarmac of the road, 
sat a long shed-type structure covered in corrugated metal plate and roofed with tar paper. On the short end of the shed, facing the way we were coming from, was an old orange-striped gas pump. Set into the side of the shed was an open door and a large grimy window cluttered with cans of motor oil and other stuff. In this window hung a large plastic sign simply saying gas. As I mentioned, we'd both travelled along this road many times, but never noticed this strange-looking gas station before. However, there was no feeling of strangeness or anything. We simply wrote it off as a trick of the mind that neither of us had seen it before, <clears throat> or had thought about it earlier. After all, sometimes you fail to notice mundane things until you actively search for them. I certainly didn't reflect much over it at the time, just feeling relieved that we were able to get some gas and get home. We stopped alongside the gas pump, and after finding the mechanism locked with a padlock, I went inside to find whoever ran the place. Inside was a small square room bisected by a counter, behind which stood shelves with oil cans, bottles of car wax, etc. Even though there was only one window, the area was pretty brightly illuminated by a naked fluorescent lamp. As there was no one in sight, I shouted hello or something like that, and after a while, a strange little guy emerged from a door in the back wall. In retrospect, I set his age at about 60 or 70, but he could have been somewhat younger. I distinctly remember he had a brownish-green fisherman cap on, the sort with a button on the front, and that he had one of those Coke bottle glasses with thick rims of black plastic. His eyes were magnified to at least twice their natural size by these strange lenses. I seem to remember he was dressed in a black-and-white checkered shirt with beige trousers, held up by braces. I told him something along the lines of that we needed to buy some gas and he just looked at me for an uncomfortably long time so I thought he hadn't understood what I said. However, after a moment, he started to rummage around beneath the counter, still muttering to himself and finally produced a key on a piece of string. With the key held up in front of him on his straight arm, an odd gesture, he came out from behind the counter with some speed and pushed quite rudely past me out through the door. Anyway, he unlocked the pump and we drew about 150 set worth of gas. That's about £12.50 in today's money, which took a long time since the pump was ancient and weak. The old guy stood and looked on, all the while rocking from side to side, almost like he had some sort of motor, motor dysfunction or something. My friend and I just looked at each other several times, not knowing what to make of this guy. Once the car was filled up, we pulled our loose cash and just piled it in the hands of the old guy until he seemed satisfied. Once he'd put the money away in a pocket of his trousers, he withdrew a wad of blank receipts from a breast pocket, filled one out very carefully with a ballpoint, and handed it over. My friend took it without a word and put it in his wallet, and we said goodbye, got into the car and left, rather quickly. While we were on turning onto the road once again, the old guy walked out to the edge of the tarmac, waving both hands in the air in a peculiar goodbye gesture. When we drove away, I leant forward <clears throat> and looked in the side mirror, seeing him in the distance, still waving and rocking to and fro. We didn't really speak a lot on the way home, but there was no feeling that something was amiss or anything. The only strange thing that happened was that the car started to run raggedly just a few kilometres after leaving the gas station the engine misfiring in a manner that it sometimes does when one or more cylinders fail to ignite. We commented on it and said that the old guy probably gave us diesel instead of 96-octane petrol. Indeed, the car's exhaust gradually turned into thick black smoke screen uh, trailing behind us, just like it does when you pour diesel into a petrol car. Uh, 
By the time we arrived at our office, the car coughed and spluttered constantly, so we took it to the Civic Department's repair shop, by now convinced that we had been sold diesel instead of petrol, and rather annoyed because we'd have to empty the gas tank by hand, which is quite messy. A guy in the repair shop helped us out with some hand pump, emptying the gas into a large plastic tub. The stuff we pumped out of the tank was neither pinkish, like petrol would be, or clear, like diesel oil, but a milky, opaque orange. It didn't smell right either, almost sweet like turpentine. The repair guy, an old fox who probably knew everything there was to know about mechanical stuff, commented that the fluid looked something like called wartime gasoline. Apparently during World War II, petrol was scarce and an alternative was needed. The solution was produced by crudely refined fuel oil mixed with turpentine or perhaps ethanol, on which old petrol engines could be run, albeit not very smoothly. The guy asked us where we got the gas and we told him, chuckling about the strange gas station, even adding that we'd never noticed it before. Now, I really expected the guy, as he was very familiar with the strange people of the area, to laugh along with us and tell us about the strange guy we'd met. Instead, he looked totally confused and said something like, what gas station? And then that was it, the bubble had burst. All of a sudden, I was overwhelmed by how strange it was that we'd never seen this gas station before. And I became increasingly certain that on every previous time we'd driven along that road, it hadn't been there at all. Glancing at my friend's face, it was obvious he was thinking the same thing. We started asking the repair guy if he was really certain about this, but he maintained that as far as he was aware, there was no gas station on that stretch of road. He actually began to look quite spooked as my friend and I became more and more agitated. Eventually, we left to change out of our work clothes and decided to take my friend's car and drive back the way we'd come and see if we could find the gas station. We actually drove the entire way back into town and back again without ever coming upon the small open area where the gas station had been. It's difficult to describe the feeling we had now um, that had now returned, but we were both spooked, scared and slightly exhilarated all at the same time. I sat in the passenger seat with the receipt we'd got from the strange old guy and to me that mundane piece of grubby paper just seemed to emanate an almost palpable strangeness. I had some serious trouble sleeping for several nights after this, spending lots of my waking time going over this in my head. We actually did a bit of research in the days following this experience, taking five or six people we worked with who knew the area and a good knowledge of it uh, and its history, but then none of them had ever heard of the gas station, nor had there ever been a gas station at any time within the last 50 years. Since our questions led us nowhere, we lost interest after a while and continued as normal. At the end of that summer, I left the area for school and didn't think about it for a long, long time. Anyway, earlier this year, so this is now 2015, I had the opportunity to return to my old haunts for a few days and found myself with some time on my hands, so I decided to try and investigate the matter some more. I drove along that road at least 10 times, but still saw no gas station. I was, however, able to find out who owned the stretch of woods where I believe the station appeared to us, Sadly, that turned out to be another blank, and as the family I talked with had never heard of any gas station anywhere along that road. So, we now have a trans-dimensional gas station, but they've got a receipt. That is a matter... Well, there's a couple of things that strike me about that, because we've done similar stories, haven't we? I mean, I always... The one that really sticks with me that we did, or that you did, was... uh, I think it was about a cafe in Piccadilly Circus where someone went in and had a coffee and stuff and then it didn't actually exist. But 
when they looked back, there was a cafe on that location that had been there many, many, many years before and had closed down many years before. It's interesting. This one doesn't... It, I was expecting you to say, oh, yeah, when they looked back, it was a wartime, you know, 1950s gas station that was on that site. But there seems to be no evidence of that. But it is the receipt that's really interesting as well. And a ballpoint pen, which, again, must age it in terms of our time frame, right? That's right, yeah. There's a lot there to sort of go on. And, of course, there is the physical evidence of the petrol substance they were sold, which one would wish that they had kept. But, so the reason why this thread has gone on for so long is because of course everyone wants to see a picture of this receipt and this author replies just the one time and says anyway i just described that receipt from memory the point being is that there is nothing special thin off-white paper and green print there's a serial number in the upper left corner i think in red ink it has an amount in black biro and a signature or initials at the bottom It's printed in Swedish, and there doesn't seem to be anything strange about it. Even so, I'll try to locate it for you to see. I'll raid my storage area as soon as I can. And then, well, the problem is, is at this point, the board where all of this is being shared, it has a technical problem, and everyone loses their user IDs. And... Therefore, it we don't everybody on the board, and it's now twenty three pages long, doesn't believe the author has ever responded, and they can't get any private messages because the back end technology um, failed them. So th- this was put down to a technical er- error rather than anything deliberate on the part of. Well, we don't know because a lot of other people were pointing out. Well. It was your buddy who got the right. receipt rather than you. And also, of course, it may be not in 2005, but today you could certainly mock that up yep. on yep. A, um, on Photoshop. But the reason why this thread is so fascinating is it brought out a load of other stories which are remarkably similar to this and provide tantalising evidence of things which people may have been able to bring back. Right. So this is a reply which happened almost immediately to that that initial post. And it's, uh, it's much shorter. He just says, I used to have a pint now and then with a Yank musician who was a jazz drummer way back when, and he would tell me that he used to... Um, he would tell me what it was like to watch Buddy Rich on stage. I don't know who that is. It must be a famous jazz person. He had lived some wonderful adventures, but was quite honest about things. So one time in the early 1960s, he's driving from Los Angeles to Las Vegas for a gig. He stops in a small town out in the desert to buy some petrol and walks behind the filling station for a smoke. There's a car under a canvas behind the station, which looks to have been there for quite a while. He pays the attendant and asks about the car. Oh, that replies the attendant. That's an old car some Hollywood types abandoned here years ago. Intrigued, he walked back to the canvas, pulled it back, and sure enough, it was a cord. Now, I've had a look. I There's various 
cars are called cords, it, but it appears to be like a fairly flashy American. Like one of those, I'm, 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 I don't know it, but I am imagine it's one of those with the massive kind of fins and yeah. in my mind is what I've got. That's but, Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, right. yeah. It's not a Honda Accord. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he was so amazed. Yeah, it's a Honda Accord. <laughs> he says it was one of those front-wheel drive with engine-mounted backwards things. The attendant says, yeah, those folks from Hollywood were driving up to Las Vegas, rev the engine too high and put one of the rods through the block. We've had it sitting here for ages, and for a couple of hundred bucks, it's yours. He was astonished. Sure, he'd buy it, but he had to get to Las Vegas for his gig. When he got back home, he told his wife and had a terrific row. She was adamant he wasn't bringing some rubbish home like that. (laughs) About a year later, he had the same gig and went looking for the station, determined to buy the car. Even if it meant divorce, he couldn't find the station. He never found the station, or anyone in those parts that had ever heard about a car behind the station. He told me this is this not as a 40 in event, but as an opportunity missed. But now, years on, it strikes me as very odd that he never found anyone who knew about the station, the attendant, or the car from Hollywood. And again, there's a tantalizing note there of if he just paid. If he just bought it, yeah, because he, again, if he'd just paid for it, he would have got a receipt, even if he had to go back and collect it later. Although you'd be a bit pissed off, wouldn't you? I've just paid 200 quid to go back. I can't find it. <laughs> All <laughs> yeah. I've got is this bit of paper for 200 quid. But again, the, like it's another transdimensional petrol station. Yeah, what is that about? Isn't that strange? We've had petrol stations before, haven't we? Or am I... No, no, we, we, have, we have had petrol stations that were... They would appear and disappear. But then it made me think of, you know, screen memories and, Mm. you know, a lot of things go back to aliens. But it's a pretty elaborate screen memory if the aliens are filling their car and then attempting to sell them (laughs) a car under a tarpaulin. We're from Hollywood. Yeah, it's a a strange backstory. It's an interesting theory, though, that, you know, because you do go, why the hell would there be multi-dimensional or multiple sightings of you know gas stations that don't exist but you're right if you're it is it the equivalent of we always see the victorian girl when we look at a ghost yeah yeah you're interpreting something as a gas station because it's 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 the natural way your brain processes it but he obviously managed to get some petrol out of it which is yeah that's weird which is weird yeah um, and so I had a look around, and this is mentioned in in this thread. And so I did a little bit more research to get to the bottom of it. But there's um, before you go on to that, I just have one yeah. question because mm. you said that that post came pretty much immediately after the original yeah. post, but all the posts were lost. So how do we know about that post and the original? No, post? no, not the posts are lost. The the login, the login. Data. Yes. Okay, so right, so I've what it you. did was all of the posters who didn't re-register and lost. claim their posts, they're all, they all come up as anonymous. Right, okay. So the posts themselves weren't lost. No. It was just their login. Okay. And I've there is it. still an archive of all of this. You can go and read it now. Brilliant. But the original post, if you if you go and have a look at the link we'll post, it comes up as an as anonymous, but that is a technical glitch. That isn't how right, it first appeared. because right, the guy didn't come back. Maybe. He, he obviously didn't come back and right, re-register. Right. No, okay. no. Um. And then there's this, I didn't include this last time we spoke about time slips, but there's um, a 1976 book 
called The Mask of Time by Joan Foreman. Um, So this is a British book, and this is just a compendium of time slip stories. And this is another story of someone who actually does manage to bring something back. And it stars the brilliantly named Mr. Squirrel. Wouldn't you absolutely love to meet a Mr. Squirrel? Mr. Squirrel, yeah. He's nuts. Yeah, I, I knew that. <laughs> He's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I know that much. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he, he won't stay out of my garden. Um, Come down from that tree. What do you think his ancestors did? Yeah, maybe they ate squirrels. Maybe they were squirrels. They're, he's an evolved squirrel. Well, I always remember that story you told me about that there were giant squirrels that you could, the size of horses that you could, if you if you were so so inclined today, you could probably ride one. They yes, were, they were like in the yeah. I can't remember when you said they were. Yeah, yeah, in the mega beast era. Yeah, yeah. And and horses are they're on the same evolutionary branch as squirrels. There you go. So every time you ride a horse, you are essentially riding a squirrel. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, the story goes, one afternoon in 1973, Mr. Squirrel popped into a stationer's in Great Yarmouth on the off chance that they would stock the little plastic envelopes he used to store his coin collection in. The shop was located in a little cobbled yard and was furnished in a manner befitting an Edwardian shop, complete with vintage till. You can see where we're going. Although it had a brand new look about it, Mr. Squirrel found that he was the only customer and noticed that the shop was strangely silent, without even the hum of passing traffic. He was served by a smart young lady in Edwardian-style dress and was delighted to find that not only did the shop stock the envelopes he was seeking, but they only cost a shilling for three dozen. At the time, the decimal system was still relatively new in Britain, so it wasn't unusual for people to occasionally lapse back into thinking in terms of shillings. Mr. Squirrel simply gave the young lady the decimal equivalent, which is um, a 5p piece. And in fact, if you are, um, I remember this, they might have come out of circulation. In fact, they have come out of circulation. But right now in the UK, 5p pieces are very small and light, but they used to be a much heavier silver. And up until, I think, the early 90s, before the new 5ps, you did occasionally get some which had a shilling written on them um and uh the it says here that those post-world war ii shillings were still in circulation and looked like five p's um anyway she gave the coin a long hard stare but accepted it without comment a week later mr squirrel returned to the stationers eager to snap up some more cheap envelopes to his astonishment the pathway outside the shop was paved not cobbled and the brand new interior of the shop now looked dark and weathered. Moreover, the layout and stock were both completely different. Mr. Squirrel was served by a middle-aged woman who told him that the shop didn't stock the envelopes he was looking for, and in fact never had. Moreover, she had been the only assistant for the past few years and had no idea who the young lady in Edwardian garb who had served him on the last visit was. And she added the shop certainly hadn't been redecorated since last week. Nevertheless, Mr. Squirrel still had his envelopes as proof of his previous shopping trip. And although he, uh, he threw most of them out because they soon turned discoloured as if from old age, Mr. Foreman uh, managed to obtain one of the remaining samples. So in this story, Mr. Foreman is um, a, uh, the story, the person who's relating this story right. to the author. Right. Um, and he, he, maint- he uh, got the, the sample 18 months after it had been purchased 
and asked the manufacturers to analyse it. The results were rather ambivalent. Apparently it was made of a type of cellulose, which would have been common in the 1920s, but certainly not in Edwardian times, and appeared to be about 10 to 15 years old. So it seemed that Mr Squirrel had bought brand new 1920s envelopes from a brand new Edwardian shop, which apparently accepted decimal money, and then these envelopes had then aged 15 years over a period of only 18 months. So this is a particularly weird one. There's a whole mixture of things. Yeah, well, I think what's incredibly intriguing, because you, as with all these things that we cover, you do have a bit of go, oh, it's just, you know, somebody's amazing imagination putting these stories out. But, you, I mean, maybe it, it's a double bluff. But, again, you would expect it to say you know, it was a material that was available in Edwardian times and whatever, but those kind of contradictions of a plastic from the 1920s, the Edwardian, it's so confused that if you were going to make it up, you I can't see you'd write it that way, would you? No, and again, like all of these things, one thinks one knows what's going on. Like, as I was reading that, I was just thinking, well, he's... He's gone, gone in back in a time slip. We assume, you know, for the for the purposes of the story, we assume that time slips are real. He goes into this shop, finds these things, buys them. That's the amazing thing. He gets them home. Then they start aging, but then they're analysed, and they don't fit any of the story. Which makes it goes back to that trickster. It's like yeah, someone's or, messing with him. Or the other thing I was thinking is if we go with the story, you know, the only other explanation you could think of is some kind of parallel universe where actually that technology was invented in Edwardian times. Do you oh, know what I mean? that's interesting. So there are elements of it that do feel like they're Edwardian, but or, or the other way round, that in Edwardian dress only became popular in the 19... Edwardian style dress only became popular in the... 1920s in this parallel universe or whatever so you know that would kind of make a logical sense there are those subtle differences that are not time slip related but could be parallel universe related kind of butterfly effect i guess yes yeah yeah well it did make me think of now there's a book that i've been trying desperately to get hold of um, for the uh, for the podcast, but it is like with all of the ones that um, you you really want to do, they they become um, like almost impossible because it's been out of print for ages. But it's called um, the Vertical Plane. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, I'm just quickly live checking whether it is possible. Yeah, I I thought so. the the last The last time I looked. And I'm looking today, yeah, you can buy a copy on Amazon for £605. But, um, <laughs> so there's two for £605 and one for £2,000. So that explains why I haven't bought it. And yeah. unlike the Rings book, I can't find uh, an HTML there's version of it. it. But yeah. I have, I do know a little bit about it. And the envelopes reminded me of one of the stories. So the, the basic principle of the vertical plane is a couple move into this house in an English village. And in fact, you can find the house on Google Maps and through a BBC microcomputer. And so this is in the 80s. And a BBC microcomputer is the sort of computer. It ran a version of BASIC, 
which for anyone who isn't old enough to remember that, th- imagine the the most basic form of DOS that you can you can conceive, and you could do simple word processing and stuff on it. And they this couple start finding weird messages on this computer, and it becomes very clear to them that they appear to be communicating with someone in the past, and the person in the past can see this computer and there's a whole peculiar array of things that happens but one of the things that definitely is similar to this envelope story is that the person from the past asks them about what life is like in the future and they cut out that pre-internet oh yeah yes 1980 it's like there's no 1983 so it's not like no one could have hacked no no and they go through quite a lot of rigmarole about like not putting a disc in or anything like that and um they they've the person said they talk about to this person of old they say you know oh sorry we weren't around this afternoon we were out in the car and he says what is this car you were speaking of you know and (laughs) uh yeah no (laughs) Uh, what's that car I think and <laughs> I don't know why I went into French for that it was like, it was uh, like hello hello <laughs> <laughs> I don't, oh god I don't know why I did that um uh, they, he says what is this car you speak of and they say well it's you know it's like a um it's like a horse and carriage but it has no horse and he says well that's impossible and they say well I'll show you so he cuts out a picture of a car from a newspaper and leaves it by the computer and says, you know, if you're able to see into this dimension, Have take it. And the, sure enough, the paper goes missing and this person from the past says, what, this is strange paper, it, it's glossy. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's how modern paper is. And they try to explain to him and they're like, no. Nah. Anyway, they find the paper put back the next day and it has aged and gone. Oh, brilliant. It's gone brown and brilliant. crinkly. And this is the same effect, that it strikes me, as, as as these envelopes. Oh, if yeah. only they'd had the, the mounts to say, give us a picture back, that would have been good. Over well, your transport, do you know what I mean? Rather than getting their one back, also give us one that you, or some kind of... You're some right. some kind of artifact, yeah. Well, see, this goes back to the thing like they never get an artifact, yeah. and this is this is the whole. This is where it gets t- so tantalising. Like when you look at all of the pieces of potential evidence where you think something could be there, even if it's like UFO evidence. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a famous case of people getting some. Um, what appears to be molten metal falling off the back of a, a UFO when they take this sort of shard of metal to have it analysed and it turns out to just like be fairly, you know, an unusual alley, alloy but nothing that nothing that can't be put on Earth. And then you start thinking, well, is this... What is the relationship between these experiences, the fairy experiences, the UFO abductions? No one has... in Well... I cannot find, and as far as I know, there is no case of anybody saying to uh, an alien, can I just take that back to Earth just for my, just to show my friends. Like, they they never do it. They never do it. Because let's be honest, like, us human beings, when we go anywhere, we want some 
<laughs> we want some gift. There's a reason they put the gift shop at the end of an experience, right? Because we're, you know, so it's, hoarding that kind of stuff is quite natural. And it always makes me wonder of the fairy law stuff that, you know, aha, you take the sandwich or whatever and you come out and it's a, it's a bunch of leaves. It's quite convenient, <laughs> that, you know. Yeah, oh, very convenient. Because, again, yeah. if we go back to our theories... If it's a time slip, obviously, you know, non-organic things can travel to a time slip because the people who end up being in them have got clothes on and That's right, stuff. yeah. You know, similar in these parallel universe stories that you can, they go there, they're physically, you know, even the gas stations, their car goes there, for God's sake. You'd think it would would be easy to bring something back your receipt that started this off aside but you yeah why why wouldn't that happen or just picking up something and it always reminded me of where we covered the parallel universes thing when we talked about the guy who found the beatles tape you know what i mean it's like yeah you bought a beatles tape but surely if you knew you were in a you'd bring some other stuff back because the tape is pretty easy to fake you know what i mean you'd bring a newspaper back or you'd bring something that kind of proved you know yes you can mock those things up but you would expect more evidence i guess is what i'm saying yeah yeah i think we proved that the uh that tape was probably not, not yeah. yes it's probably it's a no from from uh, everybody um just while we're on books about time slips i wanted to remind people my favorite favorite time slip story is published in the 1910 book an adventure i've spoken about it generally before but it's the account of two english women women who experienced a time slip in the gardens of the palace of versailles on august the 10th 1901 it was at the, the book was written under pseudonyms because they didn't know they didn't want anyone to know who they were because they came from fairly prestigious backgrounds. So they, they were called Charlotte Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain. That's their real names. Moberly's father was a headmaster at the prestigious Winchester School and later went on to be Bishop of Salisbury. And she didn't obviously want to prejudice her father's account and uh, or rather a bishop right that's that's quite occulty satanic themes yeah going into or at least some you know that's that's right so she she published under uh, a pseudonym to avoid the damage to her father but they felt that they had walked through the gardens as they were on august the 10th uh, 1792 Uh, which was the day that the French monarchy fell in the French Revolution. And in this account, what's remarkable for it is the detail of the statements that they give um, and the established historical evidence that matches what they say they saw. Right. But it's kind of... It's an interesting one that, um, again... She talks, the both of them talk about um, like what they saw and the, the fact that they felt that they it was uncanny and eerie where they were and they were able to interact with things. But frustratingly, nothing didn't bring anything back, they didn't grab anything. So, what so what happened? They they're just walking around Versailles and suddenly they're they're what back 
and kind of wandering about like that. Is that is, it, is that the story? Yeah, yeah. Well, so ninety, it's seventeen ninety two. It is the day as the as I say, the monarchy fell. So they're seeing soldiers. They're seeing people in. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. In in dress, right. they're seeing this panic going on around them, and. Well, that'd freak you out, wouldn't it? Because right. you wouldn't necessarily relate it. Oh, uh, your first thought is not, oh, I'm in a time slip. <laughs> no, no. First will be, oh, my God, there's a revolution going on again. Well, their, their first thought was there's a reenactment. You know, there's a celebration uh, okay. of the day because they right. knew what day it was. And that is why it's so strange. And they spent a long time debating whether they should write this book. Right. And then they write it. But the only evidence we have is their account and its similarity to historical things so they knew things like it is possible for them to have read up about it but they knew movements of people and they they knew what people were shouting and saying and yeah it's possible they could have picked that up from a history book but i suppose what's kind of interesting about it is that they had to do it under a pseudonym and they had to later on distance themselves from any notion that this was an occult thing because of the father and all of that so again if you were going to hoax it they had no reason to hoax it necessarily they had no reason to to hoax it they had i mean i do have some sympathy with them in that scenario of not bringing something back because if you end up in the middle of a riot and everybody's firing muskets or whatever they're doing yeah your first thought is not i must go and ask that man if i can have an artifact that i can take back for when we do eventually come out of this time slip it's probably not on your mind at that point. no like, no it isn't no but maybe g- grabbing a handkerchief or even a piece of wood or something yeah, anything, yeah, something anything would have been good but that whole that whole being able to bring something back from the past is it seems impossible and i'm gonna finish with this so i found a thread on reddit because obviously the the ultimate thing is can you could you ever see yourself and this person it's not particularly well written so i put it into my own words but this person basically describes being a child this is is they're in america in oklahoma and they're at home by themselves wearing a hoodie and making a sandwich in the kitchen and they notice they turn around and there's a figure of a man who walks into the room and he they look at each other the kid freaks out and runs off and the the figure runs off and this kid is like traumatized like there's someone in the house and the parents come home and it's like there's no one in the house don't you worry about it years later as you could probably guess the kid is now an adult visits his parents house comes into the kitchen and there's a a figure in a hoodie making a sandwich in the kitchen who runs off and so he time slips into his own thing but you have to imagine like that's a rubbish thing to time slip into the making of a sandwich it's like the Donnie Darko script that never made it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to need a little bit more than that. Yeah. yeah. No, but the sandwich it was a really good yeah. sandwich. Yeah. What was? Can you brought the sandwich back? <laughs> um, can I? Can I go back to your um, 
the thing that started this off the the gas station the gas station and the thread thread on the fortune times um because like you said it's been going now for 16 years 16 years I'm, i'm quite interested to like what, what? What's kept it going? What are the threads? What are people writing on it? Is it? Is it more of these kind of stories or experience? I'm just thinking, why that one? Why has that one it, it's, become legendary? It's because everybody wants to know what happened to the receipt, right? And, and the spookiness of everybody being kicked out. The technical glitch, for want of a better word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think anyone's suggesting that, that was necessarily the. Some paranormal. Some paranormal thing. But it's the frustration of this person who seems so sincere in this experience and then saying, I've got a receipt. And it's basically 16 years of people debating the actual conclusion. So I was reading some of the posts, like some, some of them happened this week. And the, the general conclusion is, well, what would it prove? Like, what would it prove now if he sent us a picture of the receipt is it because it could have just been made up we'd have to have that receipt tested and whatever and that's what other people are like yeah yeah that's what we want we want to see a picture of it and we want to see him take this to be investigated and that's why and that glitch makes it so monumentally frustrating because like where is this original poster has he got this thing to hand could we have proved that this time slit happened? Um, Although that reminds me a bit of, I always get this, it's John Titer or Tita. I never know if it's Tita. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you say Tita, I say Titer. Um, you know, because you could argue that he posted all that evidence and I'm not saying it was he was genuine time traveller, but it just... Even if you had it, would it make a difference? I wonder. It's one of those of you got it, and you would. You, I mean, you said you know it was pre Photoshop, but even you know forgers were doing all kinds of stuff for thousands, hundreds of years. That's right. Years. So, yeah, I so think that's I think, right. I think it comes to a lot of these things that we've talked about with the artifacts and the London Hammer and all these kind of things. It's almost like unless you can get it tested and have some scientific investigation. But even then, like London, I guess the London Hammer's a really good example. They would argue they've done that, but then from a sceptical point of view, they go, well, you know, you, you were in total control of it. You decided what the message was, who tested it and how. It's really difficult, isn't it, to find some independent thing. And then when it is tested, like Mr Squirrel, yeah, the results are loopy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's been plenty of... I think we had... I think that always sticks with me, the one we did on... Uh, you you told us about the the fairy one where they found the shoe that was the yes, mouse skin. and the mouse skin, stitched. yeah. And that was tested, right? And yeah, of course, cool, somebody could have gone, oh, I'm going to create this thing by hand-stitching it, you know, and people do those amazing, amazingly detailed pictures, don't they, on, you know, minuscule thimbles or whatever, you yeah. know. So I guess it is possible to fake that. But you're right, even when you have that, you kind of, there's still a bit of you that goes, that can't be right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it is possible that in, so that book is from 1976. So that testing of Mr. Squirrel's um, envelopes, let's say that's 
like sometime in the early part of the 1970s. Yeah. Maybe, although it was tested by the manufacturer of the envelopes, you know, what it doesn't go into is like they say it was a sort of cellulose common in the 20s. But was the person qualified enough to to know the entire history of the manufacturing there? Like, did they know what they were making the Edwardian times? Is it possible that they tried a new manufacturing technique or something like that? Well, it's funny because as you're talking about that, I, I was there's a Netflix documentary and I can't remember what it's called now, but it's about a famous guy who faked lots of Mormon documents and artifacts and um, his forgeries completely fooled all the scientists who looked at them and going, yes, it's ancient. And he'd, he just had this incredibly complex, detailed technique for making these things seem so much older than they were. I think, and I think it took one, you know, forensic scientist, I don't know what you call them, to basically go, I'm not sure about this, to kind of unravel it. But there were a number of experts who went, yep, these are genuine ancient artefacts when this guy had created them like three weeks before. So, yeah, even then I guess there's an out of going, well, even if it's been through a scientific process, it doesn't mean it's not, it's not uh, fallible, right? I was thinking the Hitler diaries as well. Yeah. They fooled a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I think Rupert Murdoch paid a million for them. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I. It's that, it's that interminable quest for evidence that seems so tantalisingly close and then is ripped, ripped from you yeah. that makes this subject so... It's why you keep going, because you think... Uh, Maybe tomorrow something will present itself. Maybe tomorrow there will be, you know, that receipt from that phantom gas station or yeah. we'll have something that is completely provable to science. Because even when you think about, like, stuff that, you know, I've read accounts of um, haunted houses where you get green goo coming off the wall and this is um it, it's examined it's tested and it has peculiar components in it like the one i was reading about has uh, like had some organic components um some gold in there some glue and together you're like well that's a weird thing but you know it's there's nothing in there to say that's paranormal it's just that oh yeah it's a weird mixture of stuff Whereas if there was something uh, in there which went, well, nobody knows what that is, that must be a ghost. You know, it's that, yeah. it's that thing which is so annoying. And, and it's, it was reminding me when you were talking about it, of, you know, because I always think of these in terms of if you're producing or writing some fiction, you know, and if you're doing a time slip thing, these, these are almost the the rules and stuff you'd have to put in place. Well, they can't bring something back because you can only bring organic material back. But yeah. They enclosed. Yeah, but it's only if it come from that other... You know, there's all that kind of stuff. Or like the fairies, as we as we said, that, oh, yeah, no, it just turns to leaves and mould when you you take it away, you know. Although it does remind me the uh, the Stephen King uh, novel... 
about the Kennedy assassination, which is a is a great time slip novel where the guy finds a portal and goes back to try and stop the Kennedy assassination. Um, and it, it's really interesting because he finds it by he always eats in this diner and they've got the best burgers and they're really cheap. And then he finds out that basically the guy who owns the diner has been going through this portal and going back to the 50s. That's where he buys all his meat. (laughs) Oh, my God. So he buys all this meat for like 25 cents and then sells it in his diner. I I loved that because it wasn't like he wasn't bringing anything else back. He just was bringing meat back because he could could make a profit in his diner and he'd just go and hang out there. So he wasn't doing anything (laughs) worthy or trying to prove anything. That's how the, um, the writers of Goodnight Sweetheart got there. Oh, is it? I, well, well, but I guess yeah, again, yeah, yeah. good night, sweetheart, is such like I guess unless you live in the UK and of a certain age, you won't know it. But the the premise of a really overly long running British comedy drama is man has girlfriend in World War Two era and current era, and he goes for a time slip and he's dating them both, and hilarity ensues, yeah. although it never does. Nicholas Lindhurst. Nicholas Lindhurst. Yes. Yes. Um, one of our more modern cultural references again. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Nicholas Lindhurst. He's one of those top YouTubers. He does Minecraft. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he also spoke out against Da Baby or whatever he's called. Yeah. Um, but it's a uh, which, which he didn't just just for legal reasons. Oh yeah, no, 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 out. no. He didn't. Well, he might have done, but I don't not, know. Not about that it. we know about. Not that we know about. Yeah. But it's it, it's that whole. I you're right. When, so when I go back to the transdimensional gas station thread, I think it's it's an interesting piece of sort of fourteen archaeology now with different people's comments. And I read pretty much the entire thread, and it had, did just turn into people debating about the usefulness of the receipt, and right. then uh, it not materialising in any form that we could all look at. So it kind of went down a rabbit hole. Basically. It, it went down a rabbit hole, but it still remains a very interesting piece of internet history. And I, I still don't know that I think it's a piece of fiction. Because it, it, obviously this way predates... Like your Reddit, no sleep forums and creepy pasta and all that sort of yeah. thing. Although it was quite well written, I thought when you were reading it, it it, it is well written. And you made that point the other week when we were talking about a story which somebody pointed out was was creepy pasta. That we 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 looked at it and went, yeah, there's something about the dialogue and the way it was written that feels like it was a writer, you know. Whereas that last story, or one of them, you said I had to put it in my own words because it didn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which the, could the mean, lad who sees himself, yeah, yeah, which could be mean they're a shit writer or a drunk one. But <laughs> um, yeah, I did think that as you were reading it, that, that some of it was, and and the level of detail, I thought was interesting. Like it was a Volkswagen, and uh, the bit about the the guy that who ran the gas station's hat having a button on the front. Uh, maybe it is, but it seems like the kind of detail a fictional writer would think of when you're you writing a story. Do you know what I mean? No, that is I'm true. I'm not saying it is fictional. I'm just saying no, 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 those no. elements did stick out to me. No, that is true. But just just to um, refute myself, when <laughs> when we did the episode on houses that haunt, I got that story from that anonymous professor who fa- who saw the woman with the kettle oh, racing yeah, yeah. across the field. Yeah. 
and that was well written and yeah. as far as i know unless he's an amazing liar definitely not fiction yeah because you know the source for that i know so, the source yeah that's yeah. true people just write yeah maybe i'm being no no i analytical uh, you're right no 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 because like what i think you're right there is too there is perhaps too much detail and but there wasn't an enormous amount of dialogue though there was some dialogue because i think it's the dialogue because i never remember what people say so, i just yeah, remember yeah. what the environment is yeah. and if i was telling somebody something about what happened in 1991 it would just be very procedural like oh we went down here and saw this thing and yeah. then we all said oh that's terrifying and ran away you know that's how it would be but yeah i i still think that it makes me think more and more that these things are interconnected and you know the the phenomena well you're mr you're mr squirrel i mm. think as we pointed out it's interesting that again if you were writing it fictionally you try and make those elements make more sense than edwardian dress and plastic you know what i mean it doesn't make you know, so that does make you think of parallel universes or some, some you know, screen memory or trickster spirit or something rather than somebody writing a fictional account, unless that's part of their their plan to kind of put that confusion in. But um, I also thought of where Mr. Squirrel may have got his name from. I thought of squirreling things away, especially if he's a coin collector. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is true. Or maybe he just has an amazing tale. Yeah. Could be that. Certainly had an amazing tale to tell. He did. <laughs> well, look, I think I'd be very interested because I, you know, I've done, I'd, it was, it was I that was interested in the, the houses that haunt, and I was very interested in this idea of taking things away from places that you stop at and being able to bring them back. Yeah. If there are any accounts that anybody has got out there in our community, I'd really love to hear about it because it has i think there is a lots of the things that we've covered sort of fall into some of these stories jots for example yeah. um the the notion of of missing time which yeah. falls into the alien thing yeah. screen memories yeah. which again is alien and fairy all of these things seem to come together and it's so, like, there's an equation here which joins them up and I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, and also I think, you know, we're not looking... If you go, well, they're not going to be interested in that because it doesn't seem that big. We're not looking for some... It doesn't have to be some dramatic narrative going on there. A bit like when we spent the night in our haunted pub. Our, our paranormal tale was a beer mat fell off the roof. You know what I mean? It's not... It wasn't Ghostbusters. So, you know, it's not like you have to go, on. Oh, no, it seems too small. Even if it's something that was just a little bit off, you know what I mean? It doesn't... You weren't even sure about it, but even for a split second, there was something off. I'd also let us know about any of that. Go to our Facebook at TQM podcast or on twitter at tqm podcast the other thing uh i'd really be interested uh, and it seems unlikely but if anyone listening has posted on that thread that forum thread on the 14 times i'd, I'd really love to know what in what what is what is it about that story 
for you that made you years later still want to post and be a part of it? That that would fascinate me to find out that. Mm, mm. I agree. Um, and for anyone that hasn't uh, ever heard of it, uh, if if you if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you may have found Jim Harold's podcast, um, the Campfire Jim Harold's Campfire, and um, it's uh, it's Jim Harold's copyright. But go and it'll be in one of his books, or you might find it in. I don't know if he's got still got the episode up, but there's an amazing story of a couple who run across a time slip in a American roadhouse and a woman who nearly gets subsumed into a painting while that happens. I won't, I won't say any more cause it's not my story to tell, but, um, go and go and Google, um, Jim Harold's campfire, um, ghostly roadhouse, I guess. And, um, and have a look at that story. It's well worth it. Cool. But make sure you still listen to us, obviously. Oh, obviously, obviously. <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, we'll be back with more quantum mechanics weirdness next week. So we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Quantum mechanics.